I know they are on their way, but it would encourage our young people from nursery all the way up to second grade can head out to children's church. And they are in the hallway heading that way, so if you can so you can still make it. For the rest of us, we are going to return to the book of James to continue our study in the book of James. We're going to be looking at James chapter 3, and we're going to be closing out the chapter starting in verse 13. So again, this is James chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read through to verse 18. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this. It says, Who among you is wise and has understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, in his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For when jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Please be seated. In the third chapter of the book of James, we see lots of of analogies and lots of kind of word pictures that James gives us in order to understand everything that James is trying to communicate. If you remember way back into the month of December, we talked about bits in a horse's mouth. We talked about rudders on a ship, the small spark that can start a huge forest fire. We talked about fountains or springs that that cannot produce both good water as well as bad water. And in our passage today, we end all of this imagery with, with seeds that are planted and the fruit that is the result of them. If you have ever planted a fruit tree in your home, which I'm sure some of us have had or at least attempted to do, you have dreams of getting good fruit from that fruit tree, of going out into your yard when it's in season in the fall or wherever it might be and being able to pick off a, an apple or a pear or a peach and being able to enjoy the harvest of that tree. But we also know that that's not always the case. And I'm sure all of us can tell stories of times where we thought we were getting a a good, a good, uh, fruit tree and we were planting it only to see that it died or was, was always dealing with bugs or some sort of disease. Or if you are like my poor wife, my poor wife, your stupid husband mows over the thing because he forgets it there. And because of that, the fruit that was supposed to come from this tree never really materializes or just ends up being bad fruit. Now, this imagery of, of fruit and, 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 the, and trees and, and, and whether the tree is good and the fruit is good um, is all over Scripture. We see it again and again and again. We see it from Jesus' own words when he is instructing his followers about false teachers and false prophets, saying you will know them by their fruit. 
He talks about this even in the Old Testament. The Lord uses David and, and even the first psalm. We hear these words when he is talking about those who study the law of the Lord. He says, He will be like a tree firmly planted in streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. All over the Bible, we essentially hear the same thing. And that is that which is visible from a person reveals the invisible content of their character. Or simply put, what is on the inside is revealed by what we see on the outside. And that's really the main point of the passage here that, that James is trying to communicate. These really bookending going all the way back to the beginning when he said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask for it. And then he gets to this part. He says, but wait, but be careful about the wisdom you are trying to present because there is good wisdom and there is bad wisdom. And you can tell good wisdom from bad wisdom by the fruit that that wisdom produces. In fact, this wisdom and its fruits will reveal its source. So let's unpack that together. First, I want you to notice how James starts this portion of the passage. If we go back to verse 13, he asks a question to kind of get everything started. And he asks this question, who among you is wise and understanding? Now, I have to be honest with you. When I first read that, I just kind of assumed that was a trick question. That when he asked that question, that that, that is automatically supposed to give his, his listeners, give his audience a, a moment of hesitation. Because, let's be honest, if some stranger were to walk into the room this morning and said, hey, I need 12 people that consider themselves wise and have good understanding, how many of us are going to immediately just shoot up our hands and say, me? I'm wise. I might be the wisest person in this room. Probably not. In fact, it's probably the wise people that go, I'm not raising my hand. I don't know what he's about to ask me to do. I'm always shocked and amazed when you like, if you ever at a, a magician show and they say, I need a volunteer for the crowd, how people will immediately be like, I don't know what they're going to ask me to do. What if they want me to, or if you go to camp, and they ask for a volunteer, I never, I will never volunteer because they might ask me to eat something nasty. I'm not doing it. And so when him to, for him to say, who among you is wise and understanding, I would think they would immediately go, uh, that, it, you know, what we're going to do, we're going to do the Sunday school answer. Well, it depends because I'm pretty wise about some things, but I'm not too wise about other things. We don't know what's coming next, and so we want to kind of stop and see, where are you going with this? In reality, I think James knew that among his audience that there were people who would raise their hands. The people within the congregation who really hung their hat on they were the smartest, the wisest, had the most understanding within the congregation, that they had everything figured out, that they had this Jesus thing down, and everybody, if they want to follow Jesus, they better listen to them because they have the inside track to everything Jesus thought, said, and did. And the reality is they are about to be humbled. In fact, I think that if 
up to this point, those people that would have been raising their hand and saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm smart. I got it figured out. I have all the wisdom. I have understanding. I know my Bible. I've got everything. I, I, I'm, I got it down. I got this Jesus thing down. We're also the people that he consistently was saying, don't do this stuff throughout like chapter one all the way to here. So hopefully by this point, they're going, maybe I don't know as much as I thought I knew. These were the people that were blaming God for their trials, being hearers of the word and not merely do it or and not actually doing the word. They were showing favoritism, trying to be teachers when they ought not be teachers. They were saying things that were harmful to the body of believers. They were doing all the things that James was instructing them not to do. And yet were doing so with so much arrogance, thinking they had it all figured out. If we're honest with ourselves, I believe that there are still people in churches today all over the world that are just like this. They want all the influence. They want all the reputation. They want everybody in the church to know that they know all this stuff. But in that same breath, they have none of the discipleship, none of the discipline. They make no sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. And they expect to stay in their comfort zone all the time. See, the people that James are addressing, we see in the church as well, and these are our modern-day Pharisees, to which Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things, and they do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with as much as a finger. So he asked this question. He says, who among you is wise and, and, and understanding? And, and the people that at least initially would have been tempted to say, yes, I'm one of the leaders. I'm all these things is now suddenly going, well, maybe not. Maybe the wisdom that I think I have is not really the wisdom I'm supposed to have. And that's what James is addressing, and that's what God is, is, is revealing to us even today through James. See, James is going to continue the idea by saying, look at what they do in order to see where they have planted themselves. Have they, has their wisdom come from, is their, their wisdom and the fruit of their wisdom coming from above? Or is it coming from below? Where is their, what is the source of their wisdom? And he starts with the negative. And it's worth our time to think about what he's saying here because there are people who are going to present themselves as being in the know, having wisdom, smarter than you, should be, you should be listening to them, pretending to have wisdom and understanding when in reality their wisdom is worldly. We have to look at their attitudes and their actions to discern where their wisdom is coming from. So let's look at the attitudes that, that uh, James gives us in the beginning. He begins with three things in our passage. He says that they are, that beware if they have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogance. So jealousy can be defined as fear of losing what is theirs. 
They have this fear of that they have amassed to themselves a certain level of, of things and influence and power and, and whatever it might be. And, and they, they have that and they feel like that is theirs and they are afraid to lose it. Now, we already kind of have a, a problem here because if that is their mindset, then they're already on the wrong track. Because we should never view anything as belonging to us. This is not my church. This is not my ministry. This is not my little group of friends that's, you know, that me, me, me. But rather, these are something that God has given us to steward and to shepherd for his purposes and for his kingdom, which means they may come and go. It's not about us and what we want to have. And that can be a challenge, really, make no mistake, that can be a challenge for us in the church, even when we have good intentions. You start a ministry. Let's say you start a women's ministry. And, and you have a handful of ladies that you start meeting with on a regular basis. And as you meet with them on a regular basis, you begin to, to really pour into them and you start to see that growth. And you start to, and you start to form those deep relationships. But then as as they start to grow, God starts to move them to start new ministries, maybe to start their own women's group because they have a whole group of people at their job or their gym or who knows where, and they want to, to be able to pour into them. And so they say, hey, I'm going to leave this group and I'm going to go start a new group. And then you go, no, you can't do that. You're part of this group. You're one of us. You can't leave. Or heaven forbid, someone else come up and say, hey, I really love what I'm seeing out of your women's group. Could we take a couple of those women and start another group on a different day? No. You, we can't do that. We have a good thing going here. If you, if you mix it up then, then, and you take some of it out, then, then that's going to change everything. And, and we don't like change. And we, ha- we do this all the time. You know, I do this. I've spent the last, you know, six years working with young adults. And one of the worst things about working with young adults is they become older adults. Or they become parents or they or they start careers, which means they're not going to stay out late at night anymore. And it's really hard to say, okay, it's time for them to move on. It's time for them to start new ministries and be a part of new ministries and create new ministries. And, and my season with this person is over because God has bigger things in store for them. And I don't like doing that because I've become friends with these people and I like having them there and I look forward to it and it is a challenge. But they're not mine. They belong to the Lord. And as God moves them on, we should rejoice. Next thing he says is selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is a desire to improve one's place or standing over others. Often, selfish ambition means at the cost of others. We want to elevate ourselves at the cost of others. And yet, Christ calls us to put others before ourselves. That if you want to be first, that you must be last. And if you want to be the greatest, that you must be the servant of all. Leads us to our third one that he mentions, which is arrogance. Now, arrogance is to think highly of ourselves, again, often at the expense of others. Another word for arrogance is pride. 
which even James speaks against. If you just turn the page to James chapter 4 and look at verse 6, we see this. But he, he being Jesus, gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the attitude of this first wisdom can often be defined as a very me-centered wisdom, that they are my people, that this is my power, that these are my accomplishments, that I have done this, I have this understanding, I have accomplished this, me, 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 me. And we need to be listening for that. And those who would be our our teachers or our leaders, we must ask ourselves, is it all about them? And that includes me. And if my concern is constantly for my status or my influence or my power or my control, and it's about what I have done and what I have accomplished and how lucky you are to have me as your pastor, then we have a problem. Because the wisdom that I would be trying to communicate to you would be exactly what he calls it, earthly, demonic, of this world. Not only can we look at the attitudes of the person, but we can also look at the results of those attitudes. Our passage lists two things that are the result of this first kind of wisdom, and that is disorder and every evil thing. The word disorder in our passage is kind of an interesting word because it can mean instability. It's actually the word disorder here is the exact same word that we would find in the book of Acts when they're talking about riots and, in, and, and things getting out of control within the cities and, and where Paul was preaching. There is this idea of a commotion or a riot, some sort of instability or problem that exists. I love that idea that with this kind of, uh, of wisdom often comes commotion, noise, fighting, problems. Imagine a situation where you constantly walked on eggshells for fear of an explosion. This is the environment that is described here. Where you can just sense the tension. And when you are around that person, you have to constantly watch what you say because you know if you say the wrong thing, they're just going to pounce. Not only does it mention of this disorder or instability, but also it says that the, the results of these attitudes and this wisdom is every evil thing. And that should give us pause. This type of wisdom will lead to almost any sin that we can think of. That when we have this type of wisdom, that it can, can take its course and start to do things and get us to a place that we will do anything, or at least they will do anything. But in a way, that makes sense. Because this wisdom begins to reveal itself that it is not a wisdom that comes from above, that it is not a wisdom that follows the Lord. And when we are not following the Lord, we can talk ourselves into anything and feel justified doing it. We see it all the time. People that, we would, that, that would claim to be followers of Jesus that are living through worldly wisdom. And so in doing so, they end up justifying sinful behavior, behavior that is clearly sinful, but then trying to make it sound like it's not. 
Things like uh, adultery or abuse or all these different things. And we'll just kind of wrap it up into, well, you know, if they hadn't done it, then I wouldn't have done it. Or, well, don't you think God wants me to be happy? See, worldly wisdom can twist any situation to convince you that you are in the right. And because of that, it can lead to all kinds of evil. In fact, to be as specific as the passage is, to every kind of evil. God, through James, says that the result from these attitudes that we've already mentioned and the evidence that we see of this wisdom is that all of it points to the fact that it is worldly, that it is in line with our fallen nature, and indeed it is demonic. In other words, it is not wisdom at all. Proverbs 26.12 says this, it says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, it's really tempting, really, really tempting for us to then immediately think of someone else, right? It is really tempting for us as we're reading a passage like this and it's describing this worldly wisdom, this demonic wisdom, this bad stuff that is, is basically, James is saying, this is not wisdom at all, but it is, it is the baddest thing out there and it, re, it results in sin and death and is a horrible thing and say, yeah, I know someone like that, that preacher down the road. This is not about them. You're here now. Where are you getting your wisdom from? Does your wisdom lead you to justify even the stuff you know is sin? Does your wisdom always end up with you getting to do what you want to do? Does your wisdom lead to an attitude that is all about me, 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 me? Then it's time to pump the brakes. And say, does the attitude that I have, does the, the fruit of my actions reveal that I am pulling, I am pulling from God and I am, I am trusting in Him and I'm relying on His wisdom? Or am I looking to the world for my wisdom? Am I looking to my own sinful nature for my wisdom? Do I have wisdom that is from below and not from above? Well, take courage. There is an alternative. And that there is this wisdom from above, this wisdom that comes from God, this supernatural wisdom that James 1 has already said that he gives freely to those who ask. Let's look at it for just a moment. What are the attitudes that come with this wisdom from above? They say these attitudes that they are pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, unwavering. And consistent. I want to break that down into just two groups. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all of those individually. You're already probably looking at your clock going, am I ever going to eat lunch? The first category of that one is wisdom from God is marked by being gentle and peaceable. The opposite of this would be combative, abrasive, prone to overreaction and outbursts of anger. And, and I get that one. I'm not going to lie. 
But wisdom that comes from God often is, is done not only in a peaceable manner, but with a gentle spirit. Godly wisdom is revealed with a spirit of gentleness, desiring peace and reconciliation over victory. A lot of times when we find ourselves in a point of contention or conflict, any sort of disagreement, there is a temptation that exists inside of us to win. We want to win the argument. We want to win the decision. We want to win at whatever's going on in life. And sometimes when we become so focused on winning that we don't care who we hurt along the way. Couples. I think we see this one in our lives and in our relationships and our marriages and we see the damage of this mindset. See, when we are only concerned about winning the argument when we're dealing with our spouse or our significant other, we will say and do hurtful things to win the argument. And we recognize that we don't win at all. But imagine if we came with a much different mindset. Imagine if we came with a wisdom from above that wasn't seeking to win the fight, but to create peace, to show gentleness. And even with that gentleness, humility. That we want to make sure that they understand that we care, that they are being heard and that we are going to find a solution to whatever disagreement we have together. Yes, that does mean sometimes one person is right and one person is wrong. But when our goal is not just winning, but being a peacemaker, we approach the conversation, which hopefully it is still a conversation and not a screaming match, we approach it differently. We come to it differently. We use words that are different than we would if we were just trying to win. James is telling us that wisdom from above seeks peace and does so through gentleness, meekness, being reasonable, peaceful, instead of all these other things along with this desire to have peace and to show gentleness, is a confidence in God and His promises. One of the things I loved about the attitudes that it it mentions to us about this wisdom from above is that this wisdom is unwavering, consistent, and pure. Mind you, being peaceable does not mean being a doormat, but rather wisdom comes from God and that fact alone gives us the confidence that His Word is true and that we can trust in His commands and His promises. We don't have to seek some alternative to what the Word of God says because what the Word of God says is true. And His words are true and His promises are true. And if God is calling us to be obedient to His word, then we, as we exercise wisdom from above, will be obedient to His word. And we'll be consistent. And we will not give in. And we will not waver in our confidence that God is true. As we look at the results of this wisdom from God, 
We see, again, gentleness. We see good deeds. We see righteousness and peace. See, wisdom from God will always lead us to what is good and beneficial for all people. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good for all people, especially those who are in the household of faith. Now, that's an important thing for us to remember, especially as we live in this life. And it's very easy for us to start taking on this mentality that it is us against them. And that all of us in here, that we have it right, that we know what's going on, that we know the truth, and then there's the them out there, and we're against the them. But Galatians 6.10, and I think even what, what James is communicating here is it's not us against them. It's us for them. Think about this for, for even just a second. We are to do good and we are to do good in a way that benefits even the thems out there because we want to see them become us. We want them to see and experience the grace and the love and the peace of God, the wisdom of God, so that they might look to God and say, maybe there's something to this. And so we do good. And we seek to do what is good for all people. And we do good things because through us doing good things, God is glorified. And in all that we do, that we do it with gentleness and peace. Philippians 4, 5 says this. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Again, we see the complete washing away of this us versus them, of there being two different types of people and you can treat one people one way and another people another way because we are to not only do good to all men, but to let our gentle spirit be known to all men. And so as we live our lives, we are to live our lives with our feet firmly planted in the word of God, trusting in the wisdom of God, allowing the fruit of that root of those where we are planted to be gentleness, good works, love, truth, and consistency. And when we do that, people see that, and guess what they come to the conclusion they will come to? We see it in Philippians 4, 5, that the Lord is near. That's awesome. Imagine what an opportunity we have. Imagine what power we are given through our trusting in Jesus and through the wisdom that He so freely gives us. See, when we put our faith in Jesus and we trust Him and His way and His wisdom, He will use us in ways that we have cannot even imagine, at times that we are not even aware, for His kingdom and for His glory, so that the world may know that the Lord is near. All the while, we are looking for peace and restoration between us and our fellow man, as well as between man and God. This means, I want you to think about this very clearly, this means that godly wisdom always leads people to God. If you are here today and you have said over and over and over and over and over again, I'm not an evangelist. 
I'm not good at sharing my faith. I'm not good. I know, preacher, you put the three circles up there. I know you talk about the best news or sharing Jesus without fear or, or, or walls to witnessing or all the things that, all the strategies and all the things that are out there. I know that, but I'm just not good at it. I just stink at it. Well, then let me implore you to the, do this. Exercise godly wisdom. Live your life in such a way that you are drawing from the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. Because if you are living your life based on the wisdom of God, and as you are growing in your life and living the way the Bible is calling you to live and trusting God and His wisdom and His promises and His way, you will inherently draw people to the Savior. That's a neat thing to think about for just a moment. And it doesn't matter if you're a college student. It doesn't matter if you're a high school or middle school student. It doesn't matter if you are 80 or if you are 8. If you are exercising the wisdom of God, it will draw people to Him. Can you imagine? What a cool opportunity. When we live out godly wisdom, it is inherently evangelical. So the question for you today is, where are you planted? From where are you bearing fruit? Have you planted yourself in worldly wisdom? The wisdom that is from below? Do you live out your life in the way that the world would have you to live and your fallen nature calls you to live and in doing so it is all about you? And, and, and all of the things that you do are about you. And because of that, you find that in, in your relationships and in your life, there is, there is strife and there is disorder and there is the opportunity for every evil thing. That will draw people somewhere. But it's not to God. And it's probably not to you. Or do you find, are you trying, and I know we're not perfect, are, are you trying to draw your wisdom from above? Are you planting yourself in God's word and what he says and his promises and his way? And are those growing up inside of you attitudes of humility and a desire for peace and gentleness? To be unwavering, knowing the truth and standing on the truth. Does that lead to a spirit of gentleness that can be seen by all in good deeds that are for the benefit of all? Is your life drawing you to the drawing others, let me say it this way, you too, drawing you and others to the Savior? I want to challenge you today. Regardless of where, how you may answer that question, let today make it a change. Let today be a change for you. I don't know. I can't word, use words today. And if you need to repent and begin to live according to, to God and his word, if you need to start really placing your faith in God and in Jesus and in his promises and trusting in him, then let today be that day. And if that means doing it for the first time, surrendering your life to Jesus and saying, Lord, I trust you. And I can't do it on my own and I recognize my sin and I need to be saved and I need to put myself in you and trust in your wisdom and you need to give your life to Jesus today then let today be that day. 
But if you're with us today and you've done that, but you're still trying to draw your wisdom from the world and still living in a worldly way, then I challenge you today to repent and return to the wisdom that is from above. And you can do that in your seat. You can come up and do that at the steps. You can come talk to me. But make a change today so that by how you think and how you live, you might be drawn closer to the Savior and others might be drawn through you. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we praise you for all that you do. God, we recognize that, that you are the, the source of true godly wisdom that is from above. God, we want to, to be examples of your wisdom applied in this world. Lord, we want to see through you that we can be gentle, that we can be loving, that we can be peaceable, that we can bring about good works and have a gentle spirit that will draw people to you. God, we want to be your witnesses here in this life. We want to be those that represent you, your ambassadors. But God, we know that that comes from wisdom from above. Lord, for some of us today, that wisdom from above, we need to... to, to to make that change. We need to transition and we need to, to repent and, and come to you in saving faith. God, I know for, for many of us, we have lived our lives kind of doing both and, and godly wisdom sometimes, but worldly wisdom other times. And Lord, I pray that today is the day that we repent, that we put ourselves wholly into your hands. And Lord, we allow the wisdom from above to transform us so that we might be a witness for you. God, however you are calling us to respond today, Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts and that we would respond appropriately and that, Lord, we would continue to live according to your wisdom and not our own. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.